On the Healthy Human Revolution podcast, Dr. Lori Marbus interviews nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests whose informative and inspiring stories will empower you with the knowledge to transform your life and health. All right, welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and I'm very excited to welcome Lisa Smith with us today. How are you? I'm well, Lori. Thank you for having me. Uh, This is going to be great because you are quite the mover shaker, tons of energy, currently hold the role of executive director of the plant-based nutrition support group. It takes me a second because I remember nutrition comes before support. (laughs) PBNSG and uh, from Paul Chatlin's group and all the other work you're doing, but you're doing some other really phenomenal work with Black Health Academy and a podcast and all these things. But first, can we get to know you and kind of your plant-based journey? Because I think people are really going to enjoy listening to you. Yeah, of course. So my plant-based journey started for professional reasons. So I have a weight loss journey of my own. I started on my personal weight loss journey back in 2012 and lost about 60 pounds, 60, 65 pounds, but this was definitely pre-plant-based. So I lost my weight still eating meat and dairy and animal products. Um, When I lost the weight though, I fell in love with health and wellness, decided to ditch my career in social work and teaching at the time and decided to become a personal trainer. When I did that, um, after working for a while as a personal trainer, realized that my clients weren't getting the results that exactly that they were looking for at the speed in which they were looking for them and started to dive a little deeper into understanding nutrition. So when I began to study nutrition, that's when I discovered that a whole food plant-based diet was the most optimal diet for longevity, health, and weight loss. And so I began to try some things out on my own, removing some things out of my diet. Again, I was already at a healthy weight. So I actually had the privilege of noticing the benefits of transitioning to plant-based um, that were uh, things other than um, weight or trying to reverse a chronic disease. I had no health challenges. I wasn't trying to lose weight. So for me, what stood out the most was the cognitive functioning, um, the neurological functioning, how that was enhanced tremendously, sleep, all these things. Because I wasn't looking for anything in particular and I was already extremely healthy. And so I made the transition to a plant-based diet and began to study it, master it, get certified. And then I began to teach it to my clients, um, fell in love with it. It eventually retired from personal training and became full-time a plant-based educator. And so that's where I am now. And it's been a phenomenal journey, both you know for me personally and my health, and then for the people that I serve. That's amazing. So maybe if we should get started with let's describe who you're serving, what you do exactly, and then maybe how people can help or be interested in supporting your journey or becoming involved. Um, That would be fantastic. So can we talk a little bit about, first of all, just your role over at PBNSG because Paul Chatlin praises the ground you walk on (laughs) and as as he should. And and then we'll jump over to everything else that you're doing. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm the executive director of the Plant-Based Nutrition Support Group. I've been for a little over two years, which is a nonprofit organization. Um, Paul Chatlin is the founder. He was able to reverse his heart disease using a whole food plant-based diet as opposed to open heart surgery. And he asked me to come on a couple of years ago. And so there, you know, we essentially have a membership model where we help service individuals who are trying to do just that, reverse some chronic health challenge, 
using a whole food plant-based no oil diet. Um, and then with my own company, I started my first health and wellness company in 2015 and my second health and wellness company in 2017, um, which was the Black Health Academy. And at the Black Health Academy, my mission is to eradicate the most chronic, um, the most common chronic health challenges that disproportionately impact communities of color. And so we do that through whole food, plant-based nutrition um, and a variety of holistic modalities to help marginalized communities see that they have more power than they're usually told, that their genetics are not the number one indicator of what they're going to be plagued with or what's available to them, um, and helping individuals get off of a reliance on medications and procedures to live optimally. And so um, doing both of those things full time takes up quite a bit of my time, <laughs> but I absolutely love it. It's, it's really, I'm really in alignment in my life. That that's phenomenal because a lot of people never get to that point. They live a life and go, what was it? You know, yeah. that's, that's, that's amazing. Um, so tell us a little bit, what, what are the challenges of those communities of color um, where the struggles are, where can they, like, how do you get into those communities even more? So what do you offer? How do those things change? Like just kind of give us maybe walk us through the day of a life of someone who's challenged or has a belief system that's been placed upon them, which isn't true about their health, that genetics aren't your destiny always. Um, they certainly can increase your risk, but certainly not your destiny. Um, could you give us a little bit about the type of stuff that you've seen and worked with and what people can do? Yeah, so some of the most common chronic um, health challenges that we're dealing with um, in the Black community include obesity, um, um, type 2 diabetes, autoimmune disease, um, heart disease, some of the most common chronic diseases worldwide, but communities of colors are, you know, 10x these occurrences and the severity of them, right? Um, including also things like severe nutritional deficiencies, uh, digestive, digestional issues, and then, you know, you kind of pair that with sometimes very limited access to whole real foods um, or limited access to education, not because it's not out there, but because there's lack of representation in the space. And so um, there's just a lack of connection to this information, right? Um, so that that's what we're working to do at the Black Health Academy is create more representation in the space. So when people see me living a whole food plant-based lifestyle, and this is again, not just vegan, but I mean whole food plant-based and for the specific purpose of preventing chronic health challenges. So, you know, a lot of communities of color, a lot of the people we serve at the Black Health Academy, you know, they're not looking to adopt a whole food plant-based diet to save the earth or save the animals. They're first and foremost trying to save themselves, right? Self-preservation. And when they get introduced to this lifestyle, um, what we essentially do, what we're able to do is give them back their hope because typically they've been robbed of their hope, of their imagination, and they've pretty much settled for a life of oftentimes mediocrity because they're not able to optimize their health and leverage their health to maximize their contribution to society because maybe a healthcare provider or someone close to them in their family have just basically told them, hey, this runs in your family. Um, this is what it is. You need this medication. There's no getting off of it because your mom was on it, your dad was on it, your grandma was on it. And so, you know, we believe that sometimes because we believe in our 
for healthcare providers. And so we just want to introduce another potential option, right? Mm -hmm. um, we may not be able to reverse everything, but uh, we can reverse a lot of things and we can significantly increase the quality of life if you do have to live with something. And so that's our mission is to reinstill that hope to people that they have more power that they, than they think, that pills, powders, potions, and procedures are not their only option, um, and that there's representation in the space. And that's so important because even when you think about recipes, plant-based recipes and things like that, right, our palates can be different culturally. And so we want things, we, we want to feel like we're learning from people who can relate to us, who understand us, um, who has our best interests in mind, right? Every culture has their own dialect, talks their own language, right? And so that's important. And so creating that representation in our space is so important. Um, and we've seen, I mean, a, a great, great, great deal of success and doing this so much so that um, my signature program, Farm to Table, that I created over six years ago, it's been so successful that I was forced to create a certification. So now I have a plant certification with individuals who want to be certified, people of color who want to be certified in this information. I'm certifying them and positioning them to be, you know, high level coaches in this space. And so that lets, you know, the need was always there. Someone just had to come in and fill the gap. Mm. there's a lot there we could unpack further so <laughs> that that message of this is the way it is is basically when we went through medical school we're not taught how to take a healthy human and keep them healthy we really mm -hmm. aren't we're we're taught okay you get this sick human and this is what you do to just prolong the illness basically you know you're just keeping them alive sort of <laughs> um yeah. but Exactly. It's so important. And I love that you're saying you're reinstilling hope because I really feel like physicians should be prescribers of hope first and foremost of every patient. Um, and I love to understand, you know, many of us grow up on our own, like you said, culture, and there's many subcultures in this wonderful country of ours, because that's what we're, that's where we are from. I mean, I have German and Irish and my husband's Filipino, completely <laughs> different cultures like when I was the first white person to marry into the family it was very different <laughs> the food the language the 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 belief structure oh my goodness uh, but you know almost 30 years later I feel like I'm obviously now part of the family my children um they're in both worlds which is really fun but you know I, I get it and those those subcultures are really important to understand and to have representation because I won't understand, you know, someone who's coming, like I said, from the Filipino culture as much as I do now, 30 years into it, but I still never grew up in that, right? I don't understand the paradigm and the belief systems that were instilled to me there, but the same in any other community. And I think it's just so important that you're, you're exactly right. The representation has to be there and only you, you can do that if you're in that community. I feel like that just, it's so important. Great. Uh, you're, uh, you're exactly right. It, and I wish more healthcare providers who serviced our industry would reach out to me or reach out to the Black Health Academy. We're, we're starting to get a little more now um, mm -hmm. that are sending us emails saying, hey, can you know someone from the Black Health Academy come speak? I service mostly a Black community. And I, I need to be honest that I'm not connecting with them, mm -hmm. right? And so I wish that those who do service those communities would make the content culturally relevant. Like you're right, 
in general that you know the body, you know the anatomy, what you can tell them can work for anybody, but it's not what you're telling them is the delivery of the information is creating that no like and trust factor. You know, all of those things matter, those nuances. And so um, I wish the people who decided to be responsible for our people would do a little more to make sure that the information they're delivering it and, and the way in which they're delivering it is culturally relevant. Yes, because that really takes one, if they're gonna receive it, accept it and implement it, because you could be saying the same message, but if I don't speak the language that they want to hear or understand or desire, it makes it important to them. It just goes, you know, I, I've worked a lot in uh, communities where there's a very large Hispanic population, but I grew up in a um, in a very large Hispanic community, just, just how I was grown up. So I do appreciate that difference um, in understanding for watching, you know, fellow healthcare workers who didn't, maybe who came from the Northeast, but I was born and raised in New Mexico. And totally understand that, but it's a very different, they, the, the, the speaking, how you ask, how you, you know, can I help you with this, you know, instead of just the dictation of it all. Um, and you just have to be much more humble in your approach with everyone, but especially for those who are different and may have already innate kind of distrust of the system and of those um, ideals and different things. We, we just have different, different uh, ways of speaking. So it's just so very important. Not that the message won't be as successful, it will be. It's just yeah. how can I deliver it in a way? I always tell tell my other doctor friends, colleagues, like, listen, we have to be better salesmen. We have to understand what the market needs and how do we speak to that market? It really is. We're going to sell this plant-based diet. <laughs> it really seems to be the case. You have an MBA. You totally get the marketing aspect. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I love business. Yeah, I've been running businesses for years. So that's exactly right. You have to be able to speak to your audience and you have to understand the level of market sophistication of your audience as well. And so you have to know, you know, what your what messages your audience is already hearing. Um, you have to know what their other options are. What other things are they considering before you? You have to know a lot about your target audience um, mm. as opposed to just being sold on your own product, right? right. Um, and so that's super important. And then even what you said about the distrust piece, you know, Black people have a whole bunch of reasons to distrust Western medicine. Yeah, 100%. Crap ton, right? Um, yeah. And they're not made up. It's, it's factual data, right? Oh, yes, um, absolutely. I mean, I'm still trying to get through the book Medical Apartheid because it's so emotionally charging just how angry I get to think about how we've been used over the years for medical experimentation, for the advancement of medicine against our will, physical, mm -hmm. mental will, you know, um, and, and so we have a whole bunch of reasons to be distrustful and it still continues today. Like we still mm -hmm. in my classes you know, have students sharing stories where they were just blatantly disrespected or disregarded in Western medicine. So it's not even history, right? right. And so, I mean, because for all of those reasons, right, we can, right. we can place blame where we want to, but there is a number of reasons as to why, you know, we need representation and that the Black Health Academy was necessary. You know, and just to speak a little off topic about that, as a white woman, um, I live in a different world than someone who's raising black children in a in a world that's very you know concerning. I never heard of the someone saying the talk about having to say you know telling your children you got to be careful when this happens when you're here. I never even crossed my mind um, until one day my 
25 year old, but he was a teenager then. We lived in Western Colorado, so it's very white. My children were the token Asians. <laughs> they look Asian. They're very dark and black hair and gorgeous kids, but still. But he would walk a mile to the rec center where he worked and he'd work out. He was and walk back home, in, which was I never thought of an issue. I mean, he's just walking literally in this little town to the rec center and back until the cop pulled him over and asked him because he was leaving our neighborhood and he's like what do you have in your bag and was like really like patting down my kid and I was like when you know Jonathan was always he's always a respectful kid anyways like yes sir here's my bag and um by the way my mom's Dr. Marvin's you know throwing names around but I was really I never even thought about it if if there had been some other child that didn't, you know, fit the who should live here, I never would have thought about that. Like it really upset me. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I just would have never, never, ever thought about it. And um, that really made me try to be more understanding of where, you know, my patients are coming from and their stories and what they're dealing with. And I'll still never get there, but I certainly try. But it's, um, it was really disturbing to me. I, I really can't even imagine much i just can't even fathom but um yeah, yeah so it, then yeah you know yeah. what you just described like perfectly was privilege right mm -hmm. so just that concept of privilege is advantages that you have that you never even think about or never consider right, right. so you just described perfectly white privilege and so that's the those are the parts that people have to like we have so much more to bear literally walking out our house could be our last day in the wrong neighborhood at the wrong time of night right, right. and so that's emotionally stressful literally mm -hmm. it's so stressful and we know that stress is at like what just like hypertension is silent killer slow so is stress mm -hmm. and so these elevated levels of adrenaline and cortisol chronically is also killing us. And so we're having to manage, you know, the racial injustice in this world. We're having to manage our health. And then we're not even gonna talk about the economic inequity. So many of us are underemployed or unemployed, underinsured or uninsured. And so should I keep the lights on or should I try and eat a vegetable today? Like, mm. you know, so that privilege sometimes, no matter how well-intentioned someone is, they can't necessarily connect to the audience because there's places their mind doesn't even go to to consider. And, and that's why it really angers me when, you know, people give up on our community, like, why won't they just do this? Or I don't even suggest it to them because they're not going to be compliant and all these words about compliance. Yeah. And community. it's like, you have no idea what's on our plate. You have no idea the 10 other things we have to worry about on top of trying to eat right and exercise mm -hmm. and so there's so much that goes into the equation when you throw privilege in there you know and so I appreciate you for acknowledging that and using I'm sorry you and your son had that experience but it was definitely a teachable moment um, well it yeah. was definitely because then he went on to college I don't know why Jonathan attracts this but uh he's my one that puts himself out there I guess but then he went to Chicago to sell some um what was he selling bug spray services or something and they would go to suburbs of you know wealthier middle class suburbs and um they were supposed to be licensed to do that so he went with like five other kids who were the others were white and jonathan was the only darker kid 
Um, and he got pulled over three times by cops there. And one of them got a little bit, um, I would say a little too much. That mm -hmm. was very physical and very, and I, the time he called me about that one, I said, if you don't get yourself in your car and drive home right now, I will come and I will get you myself because the next time, maybe your last time, I swear to God, I will do that right now. And I was like, I was such in a panic state. And I'm like, I can't even imagine raising your small children in that state all the time. And you're exactly right. The stress causes higher blood pressure. Yeah. I've seen blood pressure. Oh my goodness. Um, I had one patient who was constantly running with hypoxia, very anxious. And when I was teaching her some breathing techniques and we saw her, the systolic, which is the top number drop 15 points after three breathing, kind of just within 20 seconds breathing exercises. And another friend of mine, he's an endocrinologist. He saw someone's uh, blood sugar go, cause she was wearing a continuous glucose monitor. So you can actually see instantaneous changes. Um, it was at 120 and he started talking to her about her son, which was a stressful situation. It went from 120 to 300 in 15 minutes. Wow. And if you have someone who has diabetes, or if you have someone who has prehypertension or hypertension, you're just going to be stacking on more medications. You're never going to see the changes that you want. All of this, because we're not in, in touch with what all our patients, unless we ask, we, we should never presume. I call it malpractice. When you, when you actually look, talk to a patient and you assume that they're not going to take what you suggest, you have to give them the choice. That's like, that is just, but I've heard many doctors say that, like my patients are going to change it regardless of color, regardless of gender. They're like, I, why would I bother? They just think it's a human thing that nobody's going to change. And then you may throw in either other bias on top of it. It frustrates me to no end. I was like, how do you know that until you ask? Absolutely. And do you give them the information that they need? Absolutely. Oh, drives me. My heart rate's already going up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, just thinking about my son. I mean, it was, oh my God, it was traumatic for me. I, and it was nothing. It was minor. He was fine, but still. Um, yeah. We paid a $250 ticket. <laughs> That's how I didn't know. I was like, fine. I'll pay whatever. <laughs> just come home. And he did. <laughs> Because like it's just easier to deal with my insane mother than <laughs> deal with anything else. But um, oh my goodness gracious, it's still. I mean, I I'm wondering. My face is flushing. I can't even imagine. I like I said, uh, God bless you. Um, but uh, tell us more about this Black Health Committee because I think it is so awesome. Yeah. How do how do you? What is the journey of one of your students and? Mm -hmm. Is there anything that should be highlighted that we as, you know, because I have a lot of doctors who listen, should mm -hmm. be aware of or think about besides reaching out to help, you know, maybe you can help us figure out the be better at what we do. What is there anything that is a consistency that maybe you're seeing that maybe we should be thinking about when we're speaking to someone regarding, you know, the healthy diet or trying to implement lifestyle change? Mm -hmm. um, well, as far as uh, what they should be thinking about when they're talking to someone is everything, you know, you and I just said, just, it's another human that has an individual experience. So I think my biggest beef with um, a lot of Western medicine doctors is the clumping of everyone together and making these umbrella assumptions about people. Mm. And like you said, that can go for any race, any gender, no matter what community you work in. Right. Um, I understand your stretch. I understand you only have so much time with the patient. I understand your capacity. I understand you talk to the last 10 people or you tried that early in your career and now you stop making nutritional recommendations because it didn't work. I get it. I get it. I get it. 
Um, but here's the hard facts. Um, it, it's your job. It comes with the position. You need to repeat yourself a hundred times, either get over it or get out of it. But you need to treat everyone like an individual. Yes. You know what I mean? And that's the part. Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody wants to be heard. Everyone wants to feel like, use their first name. You know what I mean? Look them in the eye. That human stuff that I'm sure you guys probably learn at some point. Um, have manners. And just really respect where they're and what they're telling you and listen to us. If you know, a lot of especially, you know, black people, a lot of our diseases and conditions escalate to a stage that didn't have to because we weren't heard. We were saying these things when it was early stages, when it was reversible, when it was pre-medication. And so now that the alarm bells are going off, now you, oh, we maybe we should do deeper and further testing. Like that's an issue too, right? And you know. Plenty of studies and things have been done showing, you know, your socioeconomic status, you know, your gender, your race, all determines the quality of health care you receive. And when I say quality of health care, you know, the higher socioeconomic status you are and the lighter you are, the more likely you're going to get recommendations for certain tests, certain opportunities or, or things to prevent something from happening. And so that needs to be brought to the forefront of the mind. We're all in this together. Like, you do your part and I'll do my part. And what I mean by that is I've literally had um, students come to the Black Health Academy because they were recommended by their doctor. And I thought that was so dope and amazing. Like <laughs> I was interviewing one of our students for one of our programs. And she said, my doctor, I said, how'd you hear about me? Blah, blah, blah. She said, my doctor recommended. And I, and I, and I said, what's your doctor's name? And she told me, and I didn't know the lady's name. And I ended up awesome. looking, her, uh, looking her up. She worked at Beaumont Hospital here in Michigan. And it was a white lady. And I was like, I don't even know this chick. So I sent her an email randomly just saying, you know, I just talked to your patient and she told me you sent her. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. She worked at the obesity center and in, in in Beaumont Hospital, the weight loss center. And so I really appreciated that, you know, and so, and so what, what that means is she did her part, right? She listened to the patient. She had a, a community recommendation. The patient followed up. Now, that the patient is on my side, I'm gonna do my part. So I'm gonna take it from here, right? So we're all on this continuum. And if we all collectively work together in that way, we can get results for each other. So I understand you not mentioning it, uh, someone not mentioning it doesn't realize that they're missing the opportunity to plant a seed. They may not be compliant as far as you know, but I promise you by the time they get to me, they're saying, well, my doctor did tell me this a year and a half ago, you know, the seed was planted. And so because you never saw it sprout, you assumed it didn't, it didn't do anything. And so you stopped planting seeds. And that's, you know, one of the worst things that you can do. Mm -hmm. And besides planting the seed, I mean, you just keep watering it, right? You yes, just keep, absolutely. and eventually something's going to have to shift. They're either going to say, quit telling me this, or they're going to do something. <laughs> exactly. So, and that's great. I mean, so, you know, you know, we'll make sure to have a link to everything that you're doing. And, you know, docs who are listening, please, you know, refer folks over to Lisa and her organization, because I really feel that could be very, very helpful. And I definitely want to have a sheet for plant-based telehealth to send people as well. Um, and we really want to work with you too, to see if we can offer, you know, medical services that are way discounted or whatever we need to do to make sure that they also, um, 
can you know at least hear a plant-based message from a physician or at least ask say hey this is what you should go ask your doc we really want to be supportive in any way we can um but that's just so amazing and then as far as your the folks who come through your program can you help do you have any favorite stories or anything because people love stories <laughs> yeah people do love stories let me see well i don't think i completely answered your first question about kind of the journey of somebody who comes over so at the black health academy um it, the Academy is an e-learning platform where the Academy itself is online. It houses over, I think we're at probably over hundred master classes now um, are curated for communities of color. And so what happens is you can join the Academy for free. We don't charge anything for the Academy. Right now we're up to about 1200 members and somebody goes to the website, clicks to enroll, they enroll, they have access to four different schools inside the Academy. So you have the master school, which houses master classes on chronic disease prevention and reversal. You have uh, Plank U, which houses workouts that you can do right from your living room. You have Plant U, which is all about plant-based nutrition. And then you have Sci-Fi, which is short for psychological fitness, where we go over mm. things like mental health, anxiety, all of those things, right? So there's four schools you can choose from, you know, tons of master classes under each. Then in addition to the e-learning platform, every first Saturday of the month, we have a nutrition class called Get Planted, an introduction to a whole food plant-based lifestyle. This is also complimentary. Um, it's via Zoom, so you can join from anywhere. And that's every first Saturday of the month. And so you, that's usually what students do. They come in, they check out the content in the academy. Then they have real questions that they want answered in real time. So they come through to the first Saturday class. And then when they're ready to be coached and everyone knows at the Black Health Academy, I'm not the easiest coach. I don't believe in meeting people where they are. I don't believe in just helping you do a little better. So I'm kind of tough, Lori. I'm not even going to lie. I um, love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So they have to be ready, but when they're ready, they <laughs> typically apply to be in farm to table. So farm to table is our 10 week program. And they, like I said, they have to apply some application and they have to be interviewed. And then we, you know, if they're ready, we accept them into the program. And it's, I teach that program only three times a year. And then a lot of our farm to table graduates then go on if they want to um, teach this content to go on and get certified with our new certification called the other 20 and so that's usually the journey so um, we've had some great success stories um, breast cancer and remission we've reversed type 2 diabetes like my assistant um, in farm to table so she came through farm to table I think in 2020 I think she might have been in our spring or summer 2020 class and I remember she told me this later, like hindsight. She's like, well, I first discovered you. I, I saw you speak live at a conference. And she said, you said some stuff about drinking water and all this. And I kind of listened to you, but it was whatever. She's like, but then I got diagnosed with diabetes and I'm having all these sleep issues. She said, so I, I kept getting your emails. And so I finally started digging a little deeper. So she got into farm to table. She took farm to table. Um, we completely reversed her type 2 diabetes, so she's not on metformin, she's not on any meds uh, for type 2 diabetes, lost a great deal of weight, and one day I made a post on um, Facebook, and it was something that I was announcing, and I put at the end of the post, like, oh, Lord, please be another assistant. I, I need help, right? And that just not, that's not even what the post was about, but she ended up emailing me and saying, hey, I saw your post on social media. 
Um, I actually have my own VA company, uh, administrative assistant. Oh, wow. And I would, I would love to help you, you know, because I took farm to table and I know the power of it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so now Kelly is my admin at farm to table. And um, she's, because she was able to, and this is what we tell our students, you know, our mission is to not make a world of vegans or our mission is just not to give you, have you give up meat for the sake of giving up meat. Mm. Our mission is to use plant-based nutrition as a vehicle to optimal health so that you can then leverage your health in order to do what you were meant to do on this planet and serve in the way mm-hmm. you were meant to serve. And I said all that to say that as a result of us getting Kelly healthy um, and her health literally going from a liability to an asset, she was able to do just that, which is leverage her health. So now she works for me full time as my assistant, but then she also has written a book, started her own YouTube channel, has a Facebook group. Like when her health stopped stopped becoming a liability, she was then able to live optimally, right? And so everyone on my team has graduated from farm to table. We have a team of five and that's, that's every single one of their stories. It's, I was able to switch my health from a liability to an asset and leverage it to do amazing things. And that's our mission. And so Kelly is a picture of that. So there's your story. <laughs> I love it. That is, that is, uh, it's wonderful. And it's also <laughs> recurring, right? So you will see like Anthony, who was my business partner who launched plant-based telehealth. He lost 160 pounds on a plant-based diet like 16 years ago. And then it becomes like a mission-driven, almost evangelical. Yes. <laughs> and, but I agree with you. It's exactly right. It's a vehicle to optimize your health. Then you can do what you're supposed to do. And that's what I tell people, like quit dealing with this chronic disease and let's get you out there living your life. You shouldn't be here having to talk to me about your diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, and all the other crazy things. And I think people are out of touch with feeling what's normal. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm over 50. And at this point in my life, I'm like, eventually, I'm sure I'm not going to feel like I'm in my 20s, but I still do. I keep up with my kids in their 20s. My daughter's a doctor. She's sharing a plant-based message. So those are the things that I want to be doing. Um, But you're so right. I love that. I had a patient, um, gosh, this has been probably six years ago. I did some lifestyle medicine, uh, classes for like 12 weeks after work because I just wanted to make this available to as many people as I could. It got a little hairy, it was a little crazy, but it was really worth it. Um, we had one lady in particular that always stood out in front of me. We'd have at the end, people would share their, their journey and how they did over the last three months. And what was really cool is she was a mom. She had two or three little kids um, and a husband. She was working full time. And she goes, you know, she started her story saying, I have to go to a wedding this weekend. And she goes, I went to the, the department store. And instead of just grabbing a dress off the rack and crying, because I was ashamed to go try it on, because I walked into that dress room because she had lost 40 pounds. And she's like, I feel amazing. She goes, I tried on all these dresses. I tried, I actually bought two dresses. And she goes, I walked out of there. And even with those horrible yellow lights, I mean, right, they have the worst lighting in these dressing rooms. I felt amazing. And I was like, that alone is a win. She goes, but now I have energy to spend connecting more with her husband. They have a better relationship. She has more energy to be with her kids, more present mentally, like you said, the neurologic and all those things, the cognitive changes. And she goes, my entire life has changed. And now, well, then she was like getting ready to be certified as a coach because she wanted to spread the message. So the ripple effects were just by changing what's on the end of her fork, literally. Literally. 
the, the, I mean, the contribution to society, the way you're able to serve is endless, endless, endless. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then doing all the things that comes with it, you know, the exercising, the eliminating chronic stress, the eliminating relationships that no longer serve you, you know, being bold and taking chances, finally saying no to some things, finally saying yes to some things. Like it is insane. Like, and like you said, though, most people don't know what good feels like, doesn't know how good they can feel and doesn't know that even when you get rid of the is even though you may not have a diagnosis or be on any medications that still is not the top that's literally what I tell my students that's the starting line not the finish line that's literally the baseline it goes so much further than just not being sick and not being on a medication that's the starting line and not the finish line and so when they that world opens up to them because we don't teach our students just to eliminate animals. We teach our students to eliminate any and every substance that disrupts health. So we're eliminating SOS, salt, oil, and sugar. We're eliminating food dyes. We're eliminating preservatives, all of it. So once that happens, their vibrational frequency increases. So when you're no longer low frequency, oh my God, your brain explodes. Like I have to, I have to literally do things to cut my brain off because I'm constantly creating. I'm constantly creating content in my head because it's so easy to do. There's no fog, there's no mucus, there's no disease, there's no, I'm not, I don't have any stress in my life. There's no, so I'm always on, you know what I mean? And so it, that's like, that's what they call that a champagne problem. Like, oh, you got to stop thinking about good things all day. Okay, Lisa, but it's true. It's a champagne problem. <laughs> and so, because my brain is always firing, I'm always ready. Oh, I, I do it. what I love for a living. Mm. So I don't have a problem showing up. I don't need an alarm clock to get out of bed. And this is available to anybody. It's not a mm. privilege. You know, I, I didn't, well, didn't have to be born with something to have this opportunity. I took it. I literally took it. And so that's the part that I want everyone to understand. And so when they see somebody that looks like them living that, living optimally, being bold, because our students, they they come through my programs for the health thing, but many of them say, but I was watching the way you were running the business too, the systems you were using, how organized you were, the way you have your team trained. Like, okay, I want, I'm trying to start a business too. So they're looking at everything mm -hmm. and they're now seeing what's available to them. Like, I can do this too. I, you know and so it makes it not so far away or impossible so oh my gosh that is I love that oh my goodness <laughs> I love that you're like I have to come down and pin this brain down to focus for a second <laughs> I do I oh swear Lord. <laughs> oh I can totally relate my friend let me tell you I <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason I love to draw and paint. And so it is like a zone, like there'll be six hours pass and I'm like, Oh, maybe I should go to bed. <laughs> I love it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I totally get it. I, there's so much right there. Like, Oh yes. And it, you know, if even just the, the excitement of not only your own health, but then how people grab hold of this and go, Oh, I got to tell everybody, especially our kids. Right. So there's so many uh, families who are really depriving and I feel like robbing their children an opportunity to one grow in a healthy state right because we're making disease processes early now you know if we give them the processed food and the junk food and all these you know like you're describing the dyes and everything so early in life 
what are, I mean, they're trying to grow these little brains, you know, where, how do they relate? They're going to have more depression, more anxiety, more difficulty with social circles. I mean, there's just so many implications by not providing our kids these healthy foods and even harder in communities of color that are, who don't have access to that if they live in food deserts. I never even heard of the food desert until, and it was about five or six years ago. And then I just like, wow, it is actually prevalent in a lot of different places. Um, yeah. Even if you live in a city, so to speak, yeah. um, really. And then if you do have a grocery store, sometimes even, you know, some of those foods are really expensive, um, but this diet can be very, very easy to feed a family. I made a video because um, I get a lot of budget questions and I was like, I grew up in a home without much at all, but we had to grow vegetables. We ate a lot of potatoes and beans because it was cheap. And my mom's like, this is what you got. I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is what you got. Um, and that's how I raised our children too. Cause you know, it's just, you can't go through medical school and not have very many pennies rubbed together. And you're just like, kids, either eat what you got or you'll be hungry the next morning. But what are your, what is your um, discussion with those that have families and kids? Cause nothing frustrates me more than someone's like, Oh, I have to fix myself a healthy meal, but I have to get the kids, the, the chicken patties and all these things. Cause that's all they'll eat. It's like, no, that's all they'll eat. Cause that's all you're presenting to them. And that's you're right. the parent. Stop it. But I feel like you and I are very much in line about <laughs> patients need to come on board because this is the message you need to hear. And I'm not going to, you know, life is short and this is an urgent message. <laughs> Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I take no prisoners. So <laughs> I tell them exactly what you said. Um, it starts with education. Um, everybody is motivated differently, but I always, I never want, I didn't know to be the excuse. Right. And so some people are like, I don't care the why, just tell me what to do, but I have to tell you the why. So I do exactly what you said. Like, here's what's happening when they're eating these food dyes and these sugars, you know, hyperactivity in the brain, excitotoxins. Here's what's happening. Let me tell you something. Black kids in education systems are some of the most uh, prescribed psychotropic drugs, uh, trying to put them on uh, ADHD, all that drugs. I'm, I'm like, listen to me. And so when I, when I bring the cultural relevance in, or I bring the data in, and say, listen, you think your kid won't sit still, but it was the sugary cereal, the orange juice, and the toast with jelly on it. They they can't, they don't have the ability because all of the hyperactivity going on in their head. And then they're overly stimulated in the classroom where everybody got colors and the map of the alphabet. There's, they don't know what to focus on. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, so I explained that part, you know, and you have to be careful because I'm not a parent, number one. And, but I do understand that, you know, people can quickly go from like listening to feeling insulted. They're like, I've been giving my kids this for, you know, six, seven, 10 years of their life. And you're telling me I've literally been poisoning them. And it's a hard reality. It's a hard pill to swallow, mm -hmm. you know, because they, they, everybody wants to be the best parent they can be, I assume. And so, mm -hmm. you know, to hear that I've been doing this to my kid. Like my kid is feeling this way or my kid is overweight or whatever because of what I've been feeding them is can be hard to hear. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, so I slowly start telling them, here's what we can do to shift though. Listen, you're the age you are, 40, 50, 60, and you're making changes. So it's certainly not too late for them. Mm -hmm. um, and here's what we can do instead. And this is how it should look. You know, kids mm -hmm. should be breastfed. We shouldn't be giving them formula. There's just things, right? Your kid should always be born vaginally if, if mom's life isn't at risk. And the baby's life isn't at risk. 
you know, that's how they get your immune system. So there's things that I start educating them on and making them feel better about, but I also don't leave any room for them to, you know, I, no, no fruit snacks are never a good idea. I'm sorry. This sugary cereal is never a good idea. If you want somebody to placate you and give you permission to do some of those things, some of the time, you know, I'm not the only coach out there, but I won't do it. And, and, and I won't allow it to be done to my kid when he's here. So listen, it is what it is, but that's that part. And then, you know, as far as the affordability, you know, you mm -hmm. know, here's the, the most expensive thing typically in your groceries cart is the animal products. And then you have the whole conversation about, is it really the lack of money or the proper prioritization of it? Right. And mm -hmm. so all of these things, because when people are addicted to a substance, in this case, food, uh, they will fight for that addiction. And when you're having a conversation for someone you, with someone, you have to know whether or not you're talking to them or you're talking to the addiction. Because every time I do a lecture or a talk and I'm getting into sugar or salt or oil or caffeine, you know, somebody is going to raise their hand and ask, well, what about, or can I have this instead? Or what about a little, and that's them fighting for their addiction because the, literally the thought of giving it up brings anxiety. We haven't mm -hmm. even got to the step of not having it yet. And so I have to highlight that for them. Like, listen to you ask, look, listen to the questions you're asking me. That's you literally resisting because you don't want to get up, give up this substance. And that's also a sign of addiction. And so making them understand that and giving them a mirror to see their own behavior and, you know, what this could potentially mean for their children um, usually helps to start shifting the narrative and shifting the conversation. And it's tough love, but they come around. They eventually send me gifts and stuff in the mail and say, thank you. But at first, you know, it can be hard to receive and hard to hear. And I'm willing to take that. I'm willing to take that. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. Actually that painting back here is from a patient of mine. It was very sweet. Um, but you're exactly right. Right. So I, I feel bad for parents, but as a parent, and I, I totally get the stresses of raising kids on a budget when you're busy, nobody's busier than a medical school student of three and their husband's active duty military. I can promise you and had a, a very sick grandma living through the same. So I understand <laughs> being busy, and the stress of cooking and their time. I did some videos on YouTube about how to do this on a budget, literally how to feed a family of four for 10 bucks. I mean, it literally is 10 bucks a day. This is how you could do this. And this is a, will be a little bland sometimes, but you know, you can work it within that. Um, but it's just, it's really amazing to me though, the excuses, like you said, I'm like, listen, when you're asking if you're, well, I'm, I'm already feeling deprived. I'm like, you need to shift your mindset. What, you're, what you really want to do is deprive yourself of the diabetes, deprive yourself of the hypertension. Because guess what? When you deprive yourself of those chronic diseases, it won't matter what you're eating because you feel so good. And that really is a message that I really feel like docs need to hone in on. Like you said, really understand you're talking to an addiction. It's almost like it's a person living inside of them. It's this other entity that's like, don't listen to them. We have to do what we want. Stay with me. <laughs> you know? But they, I really think this is interesting, though, that conversation about food addiction. There's a um, book called Dopamine Nation um, that I just listened to by Dr. Anna Limke, and she's an addiction psychiatrist in California. I don't think she's plant-based, but I already reached out to her to get on the podcast. She said to come back to her in October. Um, but it, you know, she spoke a little bit about food addiction, and I think this is such an interesting thing that we haven't declare this as a national 
emergency because I think there's a lot of commercial interest in big food wouldn't allow it because if we said, hey, this is a food addiction and these foods at the drive-through McDonald's and Taco Bell and Chick-fil-A and all the other places, um, there would be quite an uproar in the, in the, well, at least in the commercial space. What do you think about all that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I agree a thousand percent. It definitely would. A ton of pushback. I mean, just like we've seen with the dairy industry over the years. I mean, we've been oh, yeah. successful. They've lost millions, if not billions of dollars with a lot of people going dairy free. But they that's not without fighting. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, you can't call it milk because not almond, you know. So it's been a whole bunch of controversy. So you're hundred percent right. We would definitely see the pushback. And, you know, there's everybody I had to tell Paul this, but we all have our own form of activism. Mm. So those people that want to go to Capitol Hill and go to um, the the debates, the the whether they call when you go in front of the panel every couple of years and argue. Oh, the USDA for the food. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. So the people who want to put on the suits, like the Milton Mills, the Gregors, who want to march up there. And do that and argue in front of a panel of people and tell them why this shouldn't be recommended anymore. That's their form of activism. And I thank them for it because I would never, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but my form, your form of activism was becoming a healthcare provider and doing this, right? I dropped out of pre-med because I was like, first of all, there's no way you're going to mandate me to take a flu shot or put anything in my bottle. I don't want to to work. (laughs) There's so many reasons why I didn't connect. And so I decided my form of activism was starting a company Um, and being self-taught, getting certified myself and going even further with it, learning it at a high level. I honestly think I could sit on a panel with any physician and and talk the science just like as if. And Mm -hmm. so this is my form of activism. So somebody else can wait to the laws get changed nationwide and declared a addiction. We already know it is um, Mm -hmm. on the ground. And Mm -hmm. so those of us who are gonna make this our form of activism, we do our part to help people where we are now and as long as everybody plays their part we will see results absolutely and I really feel the only way this is going to change is from the ground up um because there's too many powers at you know that could be at risk and lobbies and politicians and I went to Capitol Hill once um this was in 2016 and with some other physicians um just about getting healthcare provisions for more people, you know, kind of a standard that everyone makes sure everyone has healthcare coverage, right? Um, and at a level that is sufficient to um, provide the care that they need. Um, I went to this um, thing here on, on Capitol Hill, got, a, got to see a tour of the Senate building, and it was really cool. But when we got there, it was really interesting. Um, you know, when we asked to have uh, a certain senator available, he's like, oh, no, you have to go and you'd have to, you know, donate some money before he'll actually sit down and listen to you. I was like, it just drove me insane to me, like, listen, we put you here with our vote, yet you won't listen to us if we come to Washington, D.C., because we haven't donated money. So one, that takes out anybody that doesn't have the money to donate or the means to actually travel to where you are. I mean, it just speaks volumes of what type of belief system you must have to sit in that office and think that you have to, your time has to be paid for by those who voted you in office. Oh, it sent me over the roof. Yeah. I can't, 
<laughs> God bless you, because I couldn't. I could never. And you know, yeah, totally. When I'm not aligned with with some work, I exit the stage. Like I don't have to. I I started. Uh, I became an entrepreneur in 2015 um, for the right reasons. The first reason was to solve a problem. That's the only reason you should ever work for yourself is to solve a problem, right? <laughs> but the perks that come with that. Yeah. <laughs> is that I don't have to put up with this. I don't have to wear slacks. I don't mm. have to, you know, buy by your red tape. I don't have to go through your levels of seniority. I don't have to go to congressional hearings. Like I'm doing this on my own terms. That's, mm. that's why I didn't become a physician that all of the things that were going to then be required of me because I want to operate in your system. Mm. If it doesn't align with my personal values, I have the power to exit. That's what happened. Like I literally, the last nine to five I had was working for the state of Michigan as a social worker. I had been applying for um, internships with the federal government. I got the uh, internship and it was only for 10 weeks. It was in my first choice location, which was Rome, Italy. I went to my employer and I said, I want the 10 weeks off to go do this internship. I don't want to be paid, but I want my job to be guaranteed when I come back. They told me, no, I quit. That's how I live my life. I do not stay anywhere for a false sense of security. I can create my own security, which means I can create my own peace of mind. And so wherever that red tape is, or wherever that bureaucracy is, if I don't feel like this is my form of activism, peace out. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. You're exactly right. So I had someone tell me once, um, he's like, he goes, well, you just don't play well with others. I was like, no, I just, I have certain beliefs and things. And if I'm not heard, why would I stay around? That's exactly the same idea. If you can't participate in making something better because of whatever reason, or this is the way it's always been, then why waste your energy? Move on, do your own thing. And I think there's people don't have a belief that they can that's right. change their destiny especially if you already come from a home um, or a community where that belief is hammered in like this is just the way it is you know you have it's when you live to be like yourself um an example right mm -hmm. into others that you can do that absolutely and even you know 20 years ago when i was in medical school even as a physician a woman in medical school there were there were some interesting <laughs> situations that I had to deal with with men um, especially because I had three little kids going through medical school and um, I mean it was just blew my mind and then when I was in the military um, it wasn't as bad as medical school but there certainly were comments and suggestions and <laughs> things made so I said I did my four years and I'm gone with that too but this is a beautiful thing you can do like you said like we launched plant-based telehealth a national telemedicine company there is so much red tape in doing this. It is utterly insane to me, but we saw a need, right? We're solving a problem. Doctors want to do this. Yeah. They want to live and make a living doing it at a wage that's comparable to living, working a brick and mortar, see the patients and share a message of healing and hope. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to do that? And then you have patients who are seeking positions who want this and we're trying to keep it in a forward. Right? We're working even harder to get this as much as possible and still run a business, still yeah. a business. Yeah. Those two things come together. I mean, wow, it, what a delight it's been. It's We're going on our, it'll be two years in March. And I'm just like, wow, this is so cool. I mean, we getting the people's attention. Um, it's just been really fun. And we're working harder and harder to make it 
every, you know, more accessible to everybody that we can. But um, that's why I got licensed myself in all 50 states and DC. Trust me, that was not a joy, but I, that was what we have to do at this point in time in this country is they've put limitations on who can see who, which is unfortunate. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, but I love it. There's a book you might like. Uh, his name is Greg McEwen. It's called Essentialism. It'll resound with you. I interviewed him. Oh my gosh, it was great. Is it okay? Do you think it's good? Do, do I need to like read it or is it okay on? Audio? Oh, you could do Audible. Audible is great. Okay. Okay. Audible. Cause, yeah. Because I thought I could do Audible for like a medical apartheid, but I can't. It's a hard listen. I got to read. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I always yeah. like, okay, so it's called Essentialism. Essentialism. And then his other book is called Effortless. So I, I can't remember even how I found it, but the Effortless. I was like, oh my goodness, I need to make sure I can build this into my how. Because when I explain to patients how to do something or I'm trying to encourage them to make those lifestyle changes, I'm always looking to way to make one, this thing super easy and remove all the obstacles and make it the default choice. <laughs> really is it. How do I make the hard thing easy? That is so important. But Effortless really brought me into his world. And then Essentialism was the first book that he wrote. I was like, oh my goodness. And then when I got to interview him, I was like, Oh, this is amazing. I but, uh, can't wait. I, I have to catch a flight in a couple of hours. And oh. so like this is I, I can't wait. I'm gonna <laughs> soon this is before I get on the plane tonight. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Start start with essentialism and then go to effortless. You would love yeah. dopamine nation as well. Oh, and have you read Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg? No, I haven't. I read the oh. power of habit, um, but not oh. tiny. That that was uh by the journalist. But BJ Fogg is a behavioral scientist, he's vegetarian, not quite plant-based. But he has, he's a Stanford as well. These are some smart people. Mm. And he wrote this book called Tiny Habits, which was amazing. That one probably is a hardy because there's graphs and stuff you want to have access to. Um, but uh, I actually was so in <laughs> intrigued with his, it's called the BJ Fogg model. You could actually look it up. It's like a, a model on behavior change because I'm always looking like, how can I make this easier on myself and the patient? <laughs> because I can only explain so much. Um, what was cool about it was he had a class for entrepreneurs or business owners, and I actually paid to be in this virtual class last summer for four hours every Friday for four weeks. And there was only 12 of us because I'm like, I need to talk to you and get you in your brain. I was like, I will. I'm very persistent. <laughs> um, but you'll love that one, too. Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lori. I love a good book recommendation. Oh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to get medical apartheid now too, because I, I hadn't heard of that. So I, I'm of a feeling that I'm going to be like, wow. Oh, have you listened to another one guys? Um, you'll have to just, you know, forgive us for this conversation, but you'll like these two. Um, the vanishing of Harry Pace. Oh, no. Oh my gosh. What an incredible human. But it was just really intriguing. It's uh, by Radio Lab, um, but it's called the the, the it, they do these little podcast series, like they did a Dolly Parton. So they did this one on Dolly Parton, which was really very interesting. Um, she's really quite fascinating person. Anyway, at the end of it, they talked about their new one that they're coming out with, and it was such a great series. Um, and the guy who does this is his Middle Eastern descent, which is really cool. <laughs> he met Dolly Parton through his dad, who was a doctor. Anyways. You got it. If you're River and Shouldn't Dolly Parton story, there is that. But then there was uh, The Vanishing of Harry Pace. And he was literally a Black entrepreneur back in the, he was born in 1887, if I recall right. And he was to law school. He was, did Black Swan Records. 
He found ways to, um, you know, where there were segregated neighborhoods. Um, I can't remember which neighborhood it was, but how he got that through going through litigation after becoming a lawyer. He had, he's like, he ran a, a thousand uh, employee as a CEO of a thousand employee insurance company. Like this is in the early 1900s. And I'm just sitting here going, whoa, wow. that's incredible for one, one aspect, just to run a black label record company mm-hmm. against all the others. And then, or even the insurance or even just whatever, utterly amazing. Ooh. So interesting. I just wrote them all down. I just wrote oh, okay. them all down. <laughs> so I got, let me, let me check back. So Perry okay. Pays, Essentialism, Effortless, and Tiny Habits. Yes, yes. Okay. Oh, and uh, Dopamine Nation. Dopamine Nation. Okay. Oh my gosh. Those, I feel like those actually internally changed me, right? So those, listening to that type of thing really changes me. And then um, another one is on podcast is called Throughline. And they're talking mm-hmm. about Afghanistan. And um that was really, really interesting too, because there's a whole nother like culture, right? That we now have, I, cause I've been getting in the mail constantly looking for physicians to help take care of the Afghan refugees. Cause that was such an other debacle, what we've done over the last 20 years, having yeah. been in the military and been to the Middle East in the military, I can appreciate that to some degree, um, especially as a woman. And uh, so that, anyway, that was really interesting to understand how they did this going back through the history and understanding how Afghanistan was really quite a remarkable place and the people and the diversity, it's really good too. But anyway, I love, like you said, your brain's always going. Yeah, my brain's always going. <laughs> totally always going. So thank you so much for those book recommendations. Just look yes. at emails from me randomly saying, yes. oh my God, Lori. <laughs> Send, send some to me too because trust oh, me <laughs> I got you now oh I know we're the same person I got oh you. we literally are we're just <laughs> in different locations that's all it is yeah and no, I was literally in Colorado last weekend <laughs> were you really where were you yeah. I was in Denver how far are you from Denver 45 minutes oh ne- next time you're in Colorado I'm on this side of the mountains next time you're I'm on the east side now and I used to live on the west but please let me know I'll show you around I'll treat you to a good vegan dinner <laughs> oh my god I ate so good that was so plant friendly it's yes so friendly it is plant friendly yes okay so I totally will I love it uh, fantastic and if I ever make it up to Michigan I'm gonna have to look you now are you in Detroit yourself or are you in a different place Detroit in Detroit. Okay, cool. Very cool. Awesome. Well, <laughs> I take you fast three minutes past our hour that I agreed to. And I know you got a play to catch. So I won't keep you any longer. But guys, please, please, please check out our stuff. There's links below. And we're so happy that you joined us. And what a delightful conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for much longer. <laughs> and there would be many laughs. Oh my gosh. So but thank you so much, Lisa, for joining us. And it was really a true delight. Thank you so much for having me, Lori. Thanks for watching and I hope you enjoyed that video. Before you go though, please hit the subscribe button and the alert button so you will be notified whenever we upload any new videos. On Monday, we upload the Healthy Human Revolution podcast. Now, if you'd rather listen to the podcast, you can find it on all the major platforms such as iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and even Spotify. Now, if you're looking for more resources on how to start a plant-based diet, sustain a plant-based diet, exercise, recipes, anything regarding wellness, we've got you covered. Check out HealthyHumanRevolution.com. And again, thanks for watching.